folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with uh, Sparkles for Mental Health Show. It's all about personal growth in five dimensions. And today I'm very excited to have Jerry Fu on the show. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, Christine. Hi, Dr. Christine. We're, we're ready to go. Yes. And Jerry says he's a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance in their career and life journeys. And he was a pharmacist and started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the conflicts they encounter at work with their culture and with them themselves. So important. Now, Jerry, welcome again to the show. Tell us a little bit about your story and your journey to becoming a conflict resolution coach. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what they say about callings. You don't choose it. Sometimes it chooses you, right? And mm -hmm. so basically, yeah, um, I started off with an interest in healthcare. I know my, my, one of my grandpas had practiced medicine in Taiwan for over 50 years. And then I had uh, uncles and cousins who all went to med school. And so, you know, when I started to get serious about studies, you know, it was just assumed I was next in line. Uh, and until I got to college and I got a senior organic chemistry and I just kind of said, well, you know, I'm just going to take myself out of the running because I was just very pessimistic about my chances to get into med school despite the bad grade. And so the initial pivot was to pharmacy. And so um, convinced pharmacy school I'd be a good pharmacist and went to pharmacy school. And that's where the conflict started to come up because my mom had a very different idea of what my career should look like than what I did. And so um, she didn't want me to struggle with, uh, you know, getting gainful employment the same way my dad did, despite having two master's degrees. And so she just said, hey, you know, I want you to work for this chain pharmacy for 20 years, bank away money. And then one day uh, you'll finally get to do what you want. And I said, well, you know, I don't I don't like that plan. But because I she was very insistent and I was very conflict diverse. Right. I just kind of put up with. I just kind of put up with it and I just lived at home and I felt sorry for myself until well, we have to, I think we have to retape that last thing because okay. I forgot to switch my phone off. I'm Whoops. I really apologize. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so, so we'll start, break. We'll let, break. And uh, we'll start again as soon as my the sensor stays on. Hang on. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's start with where your mom, where you, where you, you studied pharmacist. Okay. Yeah. So okay, sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. No, that's okay. And well, interruptions happen, right? People don't realize <laughs> we're, we're taping. Uh, so yeah, you know, my mom insisted that uh, working 20 years for a chain pharmacy was the best way to achieve the stability that she wanted for me and that, you know, financial autonomy and just one day I'll finally get to do what I want because I finally have banked enough money away for, um, for things. And so Uh, after about five years of that, I decided I no longer wanted it. And so um, I didn't work on my career at all, though. So my options to leave the chain pharmacy job I, I no longer wanted were very limited uh, until I leveraged some network connections to get a teaching job through a pharmacy consulting company I moved to Houston for. And so initially, you know, just being very short sighted again, oh, I find, you know, I found a company that I was excited about this was it. Like, I don't need to worry about anything else. And uh, 11 months later, I got fired. And that was uh, the first wake up call, right? Because I, oh, like, I didn't want to admit that I lost this opportunity with this really great company. And now I still need to find another job in order to pay my bills. And so it's, uh, 
and it was very difficult because, um, yeah, I didn't like the Houston market is saturated with pharmacy jobs. And so, you know, I had to, I was desperate. And so after about six weeks of waiting for, waiting for a job to come up, I stumbled into a job uh, where four of my paychecks bounced filling for crooked doctors. And so the, uh, clearly the owner was ripping me off and I wasn't even getting paid for it, right? I was jeopardizing my license. And so how do I confront a guy who's, who's doing this to me, right? And I just, no one, no one equipped me for this kind of thing. Uh, after about nine months of chasing down paychecks, I finally got out of that job and my friends helped me get on with another one that was uh, more legitimate, but couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so um, yeah, I moved out to Austin, uh, which is about two and a half hours away because they said I get more hours there. And so now I have no idea what my life is going to look like. This was 10 years ago now. And then that summer was very key because some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit said, hey, one of our facilitators backed out and uh, we'd like you to step in to help with our material. Uh, are you interested? And I said, absolutely, because I love this uh, group so much. So teaching leadership kind of changed my mentality about whether or not I could become a good leader. Because before I struggled to have difficult conversations, I struggled to confront people, and I just didn't believe I would ever get good at it. But now that I saw leadership modeled well for me, I said, well, what if I could be a good leader? Now I allowed for that possibility to uh, you know, develop in, in my own mind. And so when a full-time manager position opened up in Houston a couple months later, I said, yep, I, I love my Austin team, but I got to come home. I got to take on this challenge. And so initially, again, just very short-sighted, oh, let me relax and <laughs> say, this is, the, this is the last job I'll ever need. And a year later, I got written up by management because my technicians were not pulling their weight and I was struggling to write them up, discipline them or fire them. And they said, okay, you know, their behavior is a problem and your passivity in dealing with that behavior is also a problem. And so right as my probation period ended, um, I, the only reason I got... Uh, oh, the company had their funding pulled right as my probation period was nearing its end. And so now I had to really look for another job. And so the only reason I even got an interview with the, my next company was that I had leadership experience on my resume. So I tell people, you know, leadership saved my career. Uh, and the problem was that even though I have more job options now, um, I was still sticking with, you know, companies that uh, their business models didn't uh, last very long. And so uh, five years ago, when my previous employer went under, I said, you know, I'm tired of finding uh, scripts from doctors. I'm tired of dealing with insurance drama, but I love people development. So what if I got into a career in coaching and facilitating leadership material? And so again, very scared of failing rejection. So it was just more of an occasional hobby than anything else. But uh, yeah, during the pandemic, I just said, okay, how much longer am I going to put this dream off? And so I said, all right, I'm going to follow the LLC, get the website up and, you know, get some real coach training. And then I had to figure out a niche because there are so many leadership coaches out there, right? There's a club for leadership coaches. And so I niched down to say, hey, you know what? I have a heart for Asian leaders that probably have struggles like mine, where, you know, your immigrant parents told you one thing and then what they told you was true wasn't working well at your job or in your, or the culture that you're growing up with. How do you deal with those conversations? And, you know, um, so, yeah, let me turn around and help them respond to their challenges a little more effectively so that they can be elevated and, and live a more satisfying life. So that's the long and winding journey to me becoming a conflict resolution coach. Jerry, that's a wonderful story. Now, uh, this show is about how people 
get to sparkle. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the lowest point in your mm -hmm. life. When was that exactly? I'm oh, <laughs> from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lowest point really was um, the lowest point. I'd say was yeah when I got fired because yeah I just didn't want to admit that I had a bad mentality about how to get the job done. I I convinced myself that management would understand why I didn't get the job done. And so I was just so afraid of the disappointment and the shame that everybody was going to ask about, you know, how did you let this job, you know, slip through your hands? How did you waste this opportunity? How could you? And a lot of it was really more just beating myself up than, than any outside sources, um, aside from anyone in the company that I used to work for. So, so what um, you say at that point, and you mentioned it with the second job, Did you get mainly fired because you avoided conflict and you didn't want to tell the people that you were leading and responsible for uh, that they were not doing a good job and had to fire them, which is basically creating conflict? <laughs> uh, well, the first job was I didn't have any direct reports at the consulting job. It was just it was conflict with my boss because we, you know, I. I struggled to develop a good rapport with her. And then also just, you know, um, it doesn't matter how good your rapport is if you're not getting the work done. And so when I had convinced myself, yeah, I can just tell stories as to why I didn't get the job done uh, instead of getting the job done, um, you need to learn very quickly that a company like that's not going to talk. That is one thing when I worked for a chain pharmacy, when as long as I was still better than 70% of the workforce, they weren't going to uh, necessarily fire me for bad behavior, but in a company that holds me accountable to the job because of the consequences that happen when you don't pull your weight. Um, that was that was definitely a, a wake up call for sure. So that first uh, firing basically puts you on the journey to personal growth because mm -hmm. you said something is wrong that I got fired and it's exactly. pains. it hurts when I got fired. It definitely yeah. does hurt when you get fired. Yeah. So when yeah. you got fired again, And they told you, you got fired because you're not a good leader. You can't deal with the conflict with your subordinates. How did that make you feel? Yeah. Uh, well, so to clarify, the, well, I was written up, but I wasn't actually fired. Like I was okay. just, I was in the doghouse. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, again, just, you're just eating humble pie, right? And you're just sitting there thinking, oh, I don't want to admit that I have to grow in this area that I just don't like. And I don't, and when you realize that, you know, writing someone up can be the most loving thing and most helpful thing that you can do for somebody. That was a, that was a shift. That was when you start to sparkle, when you realize, Hey, you know, it's like when a parent disciplines a child, right? You say, Hey, you know, I take no satisfaction in having to resort to this tactic. And like, if I don't, the consequences of not doing so are worse. So let that's me a very nice this. comparison. A parent needs to discipline a child and that's conflict. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the terrible tools so that's constant mm -hmm. conflict and some yeah. parents break in that oh, yeah. very nice comparison. So would you say when you grew up, you were a little bit conflict avoidant or conflict averse and didn't really like conflict a lot? Oh, I still don't. <laughs> That's so, a good one. Yeah. So the difference is, is just now, I, you know, I kind of have a system in place that compensates for the fact that I, it's, it's like when I, when I have my gym routine, right. And everything in me, when I wake up says, oh, you don't have to go to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. And then you say, okay, step one, you know, put on my shoes. Step two, uh, you know, drive to the gym. Step three, start your first workout. Right. And so same thing with conflict to say, okay, step one, I need to imagine this successful conversation. Step two, I need to take 10 seconds of courage in order to initiate the conversation. That is key. Well, they're all key, but that one is especially important because now, 
right? If I set the boulder in motion and I lock the gate behind me, now I can't default, I can't, I can't backtrack, right? I can't rationalize, um, I can't rationalize anymore in terms of not having the conversation, right? Because that's what I want to do. I want to default to comfort and say, no, I don't want to engage in this. I want to stay comfortable, right? It's right. not so bad. I want to stay comfortable. That's a yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah. Now, and, let me ask you, I yeah. do mostly with depressed people and okay. 99% are extremely conflict avoidant. And mm -hmm. sometimes they can't even start when it's necessary to assert mm -hmm. themselves because yeah. it's part of being assertive is being able to stand the thought and the actual act of conflict. So how would you teach somebody, oops, that's here, no problem. So how would you teach somebody that is extremely conflict averse, doesn't want conflict, wants to avoid it at all costs, even if it costs them their happiness, which it eventually does, how would you teach them to start asserting themselves and manage conflict in a way that's healthy for both? Yeah, yeah. How do you, you know, kind of turn the trajectory of your life around by being able to handle conflict better? And mm. You just have to ask them, right? Just get curious and, and just say, hey, you know, like, is this what you imagine for yourself, right? Like, what is the cost of continuing to go down this path? Like, are you content with the trajectory of your of your approach? Mm -hmm. Well, and they'll say, well, well, no, of course not. I'm happy. Like, well, I mean, what? What's your next action, right? Here's where the coaching questions come in. You say, well, what's your next action? Because this takes away the victim mentality. And I'd say this not out of judgment, but out of love because I've been there, right? I want to blame everybody else and everything else. And it's nice to feel blameless until you realize you start to feel helpless because now you're slave to, you're, you're uh, vulnerable or subjected to outside circumstances. And you have, you're basically giving your power away. And so when you're able to ask them, well, what's your next action? You know, what would you want for yourself uh, to start to, you know, change your trajectory, even just a little bit? And so I would just start with that because at the end of the day, the paradox of leadership, right, is that you can't make anybody do what they don't want to do. And so you know, there's really two types of leaders. One yeah. are leaders in a corporate job and the other ones are us all that lead our own lives mm -hmm. because we there are leaders for our own lives. And exactly. we have responsibility how we behave in that. Absolutely. Our subordinates, which are ourselves. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I really love that. So if you have somebody, what would you tell them how to start? What, what would be good steps to start to, in general? You have worked with a lot of people, leaders uh, in, in corporate jobs, leaders mm -hmm. in individual lives. Mm -hmm. What do they need to do to start learning to deal with conflict in a healthy way? Yeah, yeah. So let's let, let me take an example from a from a client, and so this way we can kind of just you know not just talk in abstract terms, right? Perfect. So let's say I have, you know, someone is a is a good worker, right? She's you know and a good worker, and then her boss calls her while she's off the clock in the evening, right? She's with she's at a dinner with friends. She sees him call. And then, so she doesn't pick up because she's busy with friends. And then the next day, the boss just blows up at her. He's just like, how dare you? You know, I need you uh, to be available for me, no matter what the hour is, no matter what the circumstances. If you expect me to believe that you're truly committed to this job, you will pick up the phone whenever I call. I don't care how inconvenient it is for you. Uh, if you don't pick up and answer me, I, 
I'm going to question whether or not you're really dedicated to this job, right? Of that and, yeah. and so, and so, what what do what is the default position for people who don't like this kind of conversation? Right? Oh, sorry, sorry, boss. Yeah, you know, I, and in your mind, right, you just seem to think if this guy's being completely unfair, this guy's completely being unreasonable. He's treating me with not a lot of respect, but I don't want to risk getting fired, so I'm just going to kind of take the hit and hopefully I'll get over it later. Right. Yeah. And you can try that. <laughs> Some people do. Some people do have that personality where they say, Hey, you know what? This guy's just passive aggressive. I'm not, I'm, I choose not to let it bother me. Eh. But for a, a good chunk of us, right. We want to say, no, I want to stand up for myself. Right. I want to stand my ground and make sure that I feel like I don't compromise my dignity or the level of respect in this case, right? So, and, and even those people that maybe initially don't say nothing, if that happens often enough, they come to a point where all that internalized anger and stress eats them up. They get depressed, stressed, frustrated. Yeah. That's why I see that. <laughs> but yeah. go on. How, because they, they have to learn yeah. navigate conflict better. So, how do yeah. they do it? Go on. Yeah. So, good example. Real yeah. good yeah so thanks yeah so and this is this happens all the time right even i didn't make this up like this is based oh. off real events and so yeah uh you know with if you have if you're fortunate enough to walk through a coach or maybe a friend who's who's better at conflict right just uh we talk them through a conversation like this to say hey well you know what would a successful conversation sound like to you right we say oh well yeah, you know i'd like my boss to apologize and even if he doesn't i still want some clearer like expectations and boundaries in place so that uh, this doesn't come up again, or there's a better understanding of, of how to navigate, you know, urgent needs beyond business hours, right? And so we say, okay, yeah, so the, a successful conversation would be, maybe there's somewhat of an apology, which, you know, is, may not be realistic, but hey, we can, we can hope, right? We can imagine this. And then so once we have an idea of what kind of conversation they want, right? So some people, they say, I want to restore the relationship to where we really genuinely enjoy being around each other. Okay, great. Other people say, I really just want to find out what the safe areas are. And that way I know to stay away from the other stuff that might upset him or upset me. And then other people say, I just want to leave the job on good terms and not burn any bridges, right? So you need to decide which level you want. Then, Right. Step two, as I've kind of hinted at in my framework, 10 seconds of courage. Hey, like send that email, send that text, pick up the phone. Hey, boss, I, I'd like to discuss how to best, you know, be the employee that you need me to be. Because, you know, after what happened, I, I don't want that to happen again. Right. Frame it for their benefits. Say, hey, I really don't want to be on your bad side. Right. And so I'd like some clear expectations, you know, or say, you don't even have to be that specific, right? Just say, hey, you know, can we talk about how to be the best employee for you? Well, yeah, of course, right? Who's going to turn that down? Okay. All right. So now you've got things set in motion. You have an idea of what the conversation could be. So step three, now let's, let's script your critical phrasing, right? Let's say, okay, um, he's probably, you want to identify, hey, I'm sorry, things are better between us, right? You don't have to take responsibility for his actions. You don't have to overcompensate. You don't want to blame anyone. Just acknowledge that things are broken. Then we say, hey, you know, I'm sorry that if my door, you know, I was out with friends that didn't want to interrupt anything. And so I'm sorry that if my actions came across as disrespectful. So you want to, you want to separate the intent from the impact to say, okay, this was my intent. 
And I'm sorry if the impact, you know, led to a feeling of disrespect. So, you know, next time you say something like, okay, is it okay that if you call and I'm unavailable, can I just text you and say, hey, you know, I'm occupied at the moment, you know, can I get back to you in the morning or something like that? Just to acknowledge, hey, uh, because what if it was uh, an emergency, right? No one wants to be the jerk that's like, how dare you not pick up? It's like, my mom was in the hospital, right? Like that's, you don't want to be that, but just say, hey, look, you know, if there's an urgent situation, just, he doesn't have to go into specifics, just say, hey, look, at the point, point is I'm unavailable when you call, but let me acknowledge, hey, let me, I'll, I'll address it in the morning or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you want to not only script these things, right? Get them out on paper, right? Just don't let them rattle around in your head. You want to organize your thoughts organize his possible rebuttals and then organize your response to those rebuttals. And he's like, well, I need you right here. And, he's, and you can ask him, well, boss, you know, how much do you realistically expect me to handle, you know, that late at night, right? The best time for me to handle it is in the morning when I'm actually at the office or something like that, right? So, you know, I will take care of it first thing. So just again, show him, hey, I know you want something right now. And, you know, the best, let me handle it in the morning when I can actually do something about your request, right? So things like that. And we walk people through these things. And then finally, you know, rehearse these things, right? Don't just write, write them down. Hey, practice in front of a mirror, right? Role play with the friend. Hey, let me trip. Let me make sure I don't trip over my own words. Let me iron out my phrasing. And then finally, hey, step five, just follow through, right? Because you know the cost of inaction. You know that you don't want to settle and sit with resentful Right. You don't want to think, oh, like I want to just leave this job. And then, you know, maybe it is a toxic environment that you should leave. But if you keep leaving, <laughs> you know, that is not a good pattern uh, to, to set in motion. So things like that, um, I would say. So that's really important to learn. <clears throat> and uh, what do you think is the most important thing for people to learn when it comes to conflict resolution? Um. Just to be okay if it doesn't go the way you want it to. <laughs> like so failure is not fatal and failure is not final. What is failure? Exactly. Example. Right. What, what is, is that? In the example you said. Maybe failure is just to say, maybe the boss just says, well, you know, I, I, I don't care about all that. Like, I, you know, thank you for sharing your thoughts, but you know what? I still believe that it's my choice to believe and it's my terms because it's my company. Right. And we say, oh, okay, well, you know, that, um, yeah, I, I still want you to pick up. I still want you to answer me and just, you know, just be aware that there might be consequences, you know, and then, you know, like the passive aggressive boss likes to keep things vague so that they have an excuse to get mad at you whenever they want. Right. Right. And, and so we <laughs> just okay. need to, and mm -hmm. we just need to. And so in that case, yeah, again, to say, well, Hey boss, you know, and you can just say, look, I'm committed to being the best employee uh, you need me to be. And, you know, I'm sorry if you feel that way, you know, you can, you don't, don't say that condescendingly, but just to say, Hey, look, boss, um, you know, I, here's a compromise I'm willing to make, right. This is a, Hey, you know, even if I don't pick up, I'll always text you and let you know, things like that. Right. To say, Hey, look, I, this is as far as I can go. And, you know, this is because in the same way, I'm sure you don't like being interrupted with things off the clock. You know, I don't want to be. No one wants to be interrupted with things right? So where's that common ground, right? And it's kind of comes back to that Dale Carnegie phrase of, hey, can you get to yes? You know, are you willing to help me be the best employee I can be? Well, of course. It's like, well, you know, are you willing to trust that um, maybe there's, maybe I can offer a better way or a different way of doing things so that you don't have to, you know, you ask him, well, what would it take for you to not have to call me off the clock, right? Now you're asking things from his view and, 
you're genuinely showing an interest in how to, you know, be the best employee can be and to take better care of your boss, right? Hey, boss, I'm not, maybe you make a, con a counter offer, right? To say, okay, boss, like, you know, if this is not acceptable, like not picking up the phone, you know, can you just check in with me at the end of the day, right? And make sure that I have everything that to, to, you know, uh, be aware of before I leave so that, you know, when we come back in the morning, I, I can have a free evening to myself, right? Then to be willing to, hey, maybe there's a different solution, right? To be creative and generate more ideas. That's another thing that will help you, right? Hey, maybe there's some solution beyond what we've already come up with that maybe we would work better, right? So that's part of it. Learning to negotiate, create and say, hey, boss, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to co-create a solution with you. I'm trying to collaborate with you so that this thing that you want, but I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to give you, maybe there's another solution. Are you willing to discuss that with me? So sometimes the question is, how do you know in a certain situation, and it could mm -hmm. be at work or even in a relationship, mm -hmm. that you need to address a situation, that mm -hmm. conflict is necessary? Mm -hmm. How do you know? <laughs> um. I put good, you on your spot. No, no. This is what I this is what I signed up for. Yeah. I love this. Well, I mean, what are you tolerating? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Like, what are you tolerating? Right. How much resent how what you know, your feelings are a good gauge as to whether or not something needs to be addressed. You know, are you tired of your roommate leaving dirty dishes in the sink for you to clean up every night? You know, are you tired of them having a dog around and they the dog sheds everywhere, but they never vacuum it up? Right. Mm -hmm. I, I will give a personal example. At one point, I, you know, I was uh, in charge of a townhouse and I had a roommate who defaulted on his lease. And mm -hmm. I knew he was going through a rough patch, but it didn't change the fact that as long as he wasn't contributing to the cost of living at the townhouse, he had to go. Right. It's not fair to the other roommates. If he's just kind of freeloading off our generosity, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact, even if we're generous, even if we want to help, it doesn't change yeah. the fact that he needs to pull his weight. And at this what point- What did you do in this point? Oh. felt unhappy, upset about him not pulling his weight? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'll be happy to tell people, this was not a, this is not a pretty win, right? This is, this is one of those ones where you just kind of inch forward and eventually trust that you'll cross the finish line. And so the first month it was just, hey, you have to move your car out of the garage because you're not paying for it. And the other roommate is paying rent. So you're going to have to take your garage out of the, you're going to have to take your car out of the garage. Even worse, I found out that he was just happy. I didn't actually kick him out yet. Like he was just, he knew. So he knew just how he knew that he was on thin ice and he was just banking on the fact that maybe Jerry's just too nice a guy to actually follow through. Mm. So the next thing I had to do was put an eviction notice on his door that just said, Hey, look, uh, I don't want to keep knocking on his door. I'm just going to put the notice on there and I'm going to let him read it. And then of course, you know, that was the, that's still kind of a cop out, right? Instead of, Hey, you know, look him in the eye. Hey man, like rent has been due and you need to either pay up or leave. Right. And so the next morning he reads the, the, the eviction notice. And of course he begs and, you know, makes, makes me feel sorry for him and, you know, things like that. And so, you know, I'm like, fine, here's a week extension. You say, you, you say, you know, you haven't had time to look into the resources I've given you to possibly look for, you know, financial assistance. Okay, here you go. You asked for a week, I gave you a week. Still nothing, right? Still just vague promises. Hey, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And so at that point, you just realize that if he's banking on the hope that he's actually going to come through, but he has nothing to show for it, mm -hmm. um, you just have to stop letting him let that 
have leverage. And I just said, I told them, I'll call them Mike. I'm like, Mike, look, it's not about the money anymore. I've given you every extension you've asked for and you have not come through for anything. So if you do actually successfully get money, then please use it to cover rent at your next place that you're living. And only then did he finally start packing up his things. And that was, that was, I mean, I was surprised at my own success at that point because I, I was already, I already lost another month's worth of rent because I just didn't have the courage to kick him out sooner. And that's hard because he was a nice guy. His, his checks cleared for a while. It was on a weird uh, pay schedule because of his job history. But, you know, as long as he was paying, I was going to, I was, I was, he was an okay roommate, but it doesn't matter how good a roommate they are if they're not paying rent. <laughs> that it's, it's, you don't just, you don't, those actions supersede anything that they could do to keep the house clean or, you know, cook for you or anything like that. So. And I think, thank you for that. That's a really nice explanation of the process that people have to go through to learn to manage conflict and to navigate conflict and to realize how to go about it. And maybe now where you learned how to do it, you would be a little bit more direct, would you? Yeah, yeah. So there's a way to be direct um, without being blunt, because unless you have a really, really good relationship with someone, the being blunt is not something I would necessarily recommend, um, just because there is a certain degree of finesse instead of force, right? And that's that's one of the, the catchphrases I like to use. Hey, use finesse, not force, like uh, when it, because you can't, twisting someone's arm into agreeing with you may get the compliance you're looking for, but will not actually result in any kind of inspired movement on their part, right? Um, just hearing them tell you that you're right doesn't actually result in the desired change in action. So instead, you're just trying to, again, lean into this and co-create with them, hey, you know, we're both trying to work out the same solution here, right? So in Mike's case, we said, hey, look, we both understand that this is just going to be really uncomfortable for both of us as long as you're not you know, meeting the terms here because it's not fair to everybody else. So please, you know, I'm giving you two choices. Please tell me which one is more realistic for you. You know, Jerry, that is a really important topic and conflict resolution. Anybody should learn it, not just in the corporate world, in the private world, when it comes to renters and, and around you, but it happens in relationship and with yourself. And maybe we can talk about that more on another show. Because it is so important that we learn how to navigate. I wouldn't say avoid or resolve conflict because sometimes it just can't be resolved, but it has to be endured until you got rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and hey, what, does it do? what does it do? Right. Well, let's say you do resolve this conflict. You know, Mike moved out, you, you know, he gave away okay. his keys yeah. and the other. What, guess what? I'm going to move on to the next challenge, right? You get like the, this doesn't end and it's not meant to exhaust anyone or discourage anyone. Just understand that the sooner you clear one challenge in self-development or otherwise, the sooner you can move on to the next challenge. And it takes courage. You said that. Mm -hmm. And the more often you do and try and learn to, to navigate it, the more courage you build up. Yeah, absolutely. You, so if somebody is in a position and they want to learn how to resolve conflict, mm -hmm. And they would like to contact you, work with you maybe. How could they contact you? What would it be the best place? And of course, your name and the address will be under the video and in the details of the audio. Yeah. Just curious. Certainly. Uh, the, the website you can check out 
is www.adaptingleaders.com. And from there, you can book a complimentary 30-minute call. Just, hey, tell me what you're working on. Let's see if I can offer any tips. Um, there's also a free guide you can download with the framework that we talked about in this episode. So that's adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide, G-U-I-D-E. Feel free to check that out and uh, leave that as a reference. And, you know, maybe you read that and say, hey, you know what, Jerry, I'd like to, you know, delve into this framework a little uh, in more detail with you, you know, or you could just check out the free blog where I summarize, uh, you know, useful, interesting leadership books and offer other tips. And I promote other podcasts that, you know, have interesting people and stories and things. But yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me, adaptingleaders.com. Thank you so much, Jerry. That is awesome. And I recommend all of my listeners to go there if they ever want to learn to resolve conflict. Who doesn't? Uh, seek out Jerry. And one question to, to end it. What would be one sentence you said the most important thing anybody needs to know to be able to resolve conflict? I don't want to say anything cheesy or contrived. So I'm going to say you said in the beginning, and let me just remind you if it's yeah. still the same, you said the most important thing is to do it, to, to do it over and over. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So remember, I'll, I'll tack on to that, right? As John Maxwell once said, experience isn't the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Uh -huh. So don't just charge ahead, get through this conversation and fail and say, well, I tried. It's like, hey, if the plane crashed, open up the black box and do the do the work of going through all that. Right. One thing I, I hated as a kid, whenever I got a bad grade on a test or something, my dad would say, OK, we have to look through everything. And I was like, oh, like, I don't like this because I knew also I was afraid of his tone that he was just going to get mad and feel like I should have done better. But with a with a compassionate parent, right, to say, hey, OK, son, you know, let's we don't have to be afraid of failure. Uh, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to think you're incompetent. I just want you to learn from this. So let me help you learn from this. I still love you. I will always love you. And in my love for you, let's do the, the hard work to, to make sure you don't have to deal with these problems again. Oh, Jerry, that is a wonderful sentence to the end. Do it all with love and fail forward and uh, joyful failing, learn from your failures. Hey, of course, we all make mistakes. That's why the eraser at the end of the pencil. And uh, thank you so much for being on the call today, Jerry. I, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me.